We are, uh, we're in a series uh, through the, the chapter of Hebrews 11, uh, what some have called the Hall of Faith. Uh, this is a, uh, you know, we're, we're looking through, kind of going through the lineage, our forefathers in the faith, um, all these people who trusted God. Last week, we saw Jacob bless the sons of Joseph in Egypt. Um, after uh, Jacob died, Joseph, as, as he promised, uh, buried uh, Jacob in Canaan. But after, after Jacob's death, uh, right before the Bible records Joseph's deathbed scene, which we just read and which we, we see uh, in, uh, referenced in Hebrews 11, uh, the, the, the brothers of Joseph, remember he's one of 12, so his, his brothers send him a message, and that message we just heard. And the question is, why, why do his brothers ask for his forgiveness and offer to be his slave after his father's death? Right? And, and if you know the story of Joseph, you have some idea. But to understand this and to understand Joseph's faith as he's dying, I think we need to look at, and look at Joseph's story. So let's follow the, the story of Joseph this morning and see uh, what the Holy Spirit wants to, to teach us. Now let's pray once more and, and then we'll, we'll dive right in. Father, thank you so much for your word. Uh, thank you for... Uh, for your spirit, uh, and thank you that you have revealed yourself. Uh, I pray now that you would reveal yourself to us. As we just sang, would you come in power? Would you revive our hearts? Um, we, we ask that, that you would take away whatever barriers are in our hearts to hearing your word, to truly understanding it, to truly um, submitting to you and submitting under it. Um, Lord, there's, so many, there's just so many distractions, so many uh, barriers, so many even unconscious biases we might have that would keep us from really hearing what you want to say to us. And so uh, we just pray that you'd break through those and that you would speak to each of our hearts as we need. We trust you to do this and we ask you in Jesus' name, amen. We meet Joseph first in Genesis chapter 37. Um, we're going to be kind of doing a summary, a little bit of Genesis, basically 37 through 50. So it's only 13 chapters of the Bible. Shouldn't take too long. Um, we are. We learn that that in in Genesis 37 that Jacob, his father, favors Joseph. Um, Joseph is one of Rachel's uh, sons. Rachel had two sons. She was Jacob's favorite wife that we saw last, uh, last week. Um, and we saw a lot of dysfunction last week. And that dysfunction continues uh, because Jacob favors Joseph and gives him, and not his brothers, a, a multicolored robe as a gift, right? Um, and if you've ever come home from a trip and you have multiple kids and you just bring one of them a gift, you know what that does to the rest of the kids. Uh, it makes them hate the, the one, right? And his brothers hate Joseph. Uh, but Joseph, it's not only Jacob's fault. Joseph doesn't help. We learn that Joseph is a tattletale. Uh, he, he's, he tells on his, no one's like his tattletale, right? Uh, and, and he's also a, uh, he's a dreamer. He has dreams. Uh, he's 17 and it says he has two dreams. That his bro- the, the first is that his, brother, or his brothers are all bowing down to him. Okay, that's a dream. And then the second dream he has, his, his brothers and his father and mother are all bowing down to him. Um, and that seems like something you would probably want to keep to yourself if you have a dream like that. Uh, and your, all of your brothers hate you, but he doesn't. He goes ahead and, and shares that. And so they hate him even more. The family are shepherds. They keep sheep and his brothers are out pasturing their flock. Uh, Jacob sends Joseph to go check on them. And we pick up in Genesis 37, verse 18. They saw him in the distance. Before he had reached them, they plotted to kill him. They said to one another, oh, look, here comes that dream expert. 
So now, let's come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of the pits. We can say that a vicious animal ate him. Then we will see what becomes of his dreams. When Joseph came to his brothers, verse 23, they stripped off Joseph's robe, the robe of many colors that he had on. They took him and threw him into the pit. The pit was empty without water. It was probably an empty cistern. They sat down to eat a meal, right? Which I guess is what you do when you throw your brother into a pit and you're planning to kill him. They sat down to eat a meal. And when they looked up, there was a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were carrying aromatic gum, balsam, and resin going down to Egypt. Judah, the businessman, says to his brothers, what do we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come on, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay a hand on him, for he's our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers agreed, right? We can make a buck. We don't have to do the dirty work. Sounds good. When the Midianite traders passed by, his brothers pulled Joseph out of the pit and sold him for 20 pieces of silver to the Ishmaelites, who took Joseph to Egypt. So they took Joseph's robe, the brothers took Joseph's robe, slaughtered a male goat, dipped the robe in its blood. Then they sent the long sleeve robe to their father and said, we found this, examine it. Is it your son's robe or not? His father recognized it. It is my son's robe, he said. A vicious animal has devoured him. Joseph has been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put sackcloth around his waist and mourned for his son for many days. All his sons and daughters tried to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, I will go down to Sheol to my son mourning. I'm never gonna stop. And his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh and the captain of the guards. So the, the deed is done, right? His brothers have sold Joseph uh, into slavery. Uh, they have covered up that by, by uh, you know, staging a murder, uh, staging a, a rather an attack by wild beasts. Uh, and and uh, Jacob is devastated and will not stop mourning. And we pick up uh, the Joseph story in Genesis 39. He's with uh, Potiphar, an Egyptian officer who's, who's bought him from uh, the traders. And look what he says in 39.2. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, serving the household of his Egyptian master. master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made everything he did successful, Joseph found favor with his master, became his personal attendant. Potiphar also put him in charge of his household and placed all that he owned under his authority. Okay? Now, Joseph, by God's blessing, is prospering, right, in this new job at Potiphar's house. Right? He quickly gets promoted. Potiphar quickly sees this guy's got capacity. Everything this guy touches turns to gold. I'm going to give him everything. He can manage it all. It even says later, it's like all that, he, all that Potiphar worried about was the food that he ate, right? Joseph managed everything. Um, but there's a problem in Potiphar's house. Uh, the text says that Joseph is, is well-built and handsome, uh, and, and Potiphar's wife notices this. She asks him repeatedly over a period of time to do something that he shouldn't do, and he refuses. Uh, one day, she, she catches him alone in the house and comes on strong. She grabs at him, grabs even his coat, uh, and he, he runs out. He flees temptation as he should, right? But he leaves his, his coat behind, and that's all she needs. Out of spite, she frames him, right? It says she held, his, her, she held his garment beside her until his master came home and told him that Joseph had attacked her. And Potiphar is furious, throws Joseph into prison. So just when things start going right, 
the, the rug is pulled out from under him, right? And not because he did anything wrong, just because he actually he did something right. He was, he was trying to do the right thing and he was doing the right thing and he got knocked down. And sometimes that's how it goes, isn't it? You have something devastating happen, you start to rebuild, it's starting to get better and then boom, something else happens and hits. But look at what it says. Genesis 39, four, or 21. But the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him. He granted him favor with the prison warden. The warden put all the prisoners who were in the prison under Joseph's authority, and he was responsible for everything that was done there. The warden did not bother with anything under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him, and the Lord made everything that he did successful. I have to summarize a lot here because of time, uh, but Pharaoh's cupbearer and his chief baker are thrown into the prison that Joseph is, is in and is overseeing. And they both have dreams on the same night. One morning they wake up and they look sad and Joseph says, Why, what's wrong? And they say, we, we had dreams, but there's no one here to interpret them. Um, and he says, well, you know, God can interpret dreams. Tell them to me. Maybe I can help you. And the cupbearer goes first. And the cupbearer says, I, I had a dream where there were three branches of a vine that grew grapes. And the, the grapes grew and I squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup. Joseph, with God's help, was able to interpret the dream. And he says, the three branches are three days. In three days, you will be reinstated to your position as the cupbearer to Pharaoh, which was a very high and prestigious position in the palace. And, and Joseph said, hey, and when that happens... Would you put in a word for me with Pharaoh? Because I'm, I was kidnapped. I, I, should, I didn't even do anything wrong to be here. Can, like, can you help me out? When that happens, please remember me. And, and the baker, it says, the chief baker, is seeing that the, the interpretation was favorable for the cupbearer. He says, okay, can you do mine? Here's my dream. I, I had three baskets of bread on my head and the birds were on top of it, eating it. And Joseph says, uh, well, that means that in three days, Pharaoh will, will lift up your head off of you and will hang you in a tree. And both interpretations are dead on, pun intended, for the baker. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he gave a feast for all his servants. He elevated the chief cupbearer and the chief baker among his servants. Pharaoh restored the chief cupbearer to his position as cupbearer, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand, but Pharaoh hanged the chief baker, just as Joseph had explained to them. Yet the, yet, the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. What a heartbreaking verse, <laughs> right? It, it seems like there's an end to this suffering. God has orchestrated this, this to happen. It's happened. It seems like I could get out of here. And then there isn't. There isn't an end. He's forgotten. Over a decade has passed since he was sold by his brothers. Right? A large chunk of these are spent in prison. Do you, you think there were some long sleepless nights in his cell wondering what in the world was happening, what in the world God was up to? Do you think there were times he felt hopeless and helpless across that decade? Do you think Joseph struggled with bitterness, perhaps, toward his brothers who put him in this position, toward his circumstances, all the things that had happened to him, toward God even, who allowed these things to happen? I think so. Two years later, two long years, Pharaoh had a dream. 
In his dream, seven skinny cows came out of the Nile and devoured seven healthy cows. Seven skinny heads of grain uh, grew out and swallowed seven healthy heads of grain. Pharaoh is, is disturbed. This isn't just a normal dream. He knows it means something, uh, but he doesn't know what it means. He calls all of his magicians and people, wise men. They can't interpret it. Um, and this jogs the cupbearer's memory. Oh, there was this guy in prison who, who he, he interpreted my dream, right? And he was right. Pharaoh calls Joseph from the prison, right? And, and it says uh, Joseph has to shave and clean up before he can come to the palace, which it's like a movie scene, you know? He's like the long beard and he's shaving and getting all nice looking. And he enters the palace. And, and Pharaoh says, can you interpret this dream? Here it is. And, and Joseph says, yeah, I, I can interpret it by God's help. He says, there's gonna be seven years of plenty uh, that are followed by seven years of famine. And, and it, it Joseph recommends, he recommends a, a strong fiscal policy. He's right. let's store up. You should, you should store up grain in the seven years of plenty so that we don't starve and the country doesn't starve in the seven years of famine. He's like, put someone wise and understanding over this policy so that uh, you know, it can happen. And Pharaoh's like, would you be in charge of, like, are you open for a job opportunity? Um, would you like to be in charge of this? Uh, you kind of, you seem to have some wisdom about you, uh, and it seems like God's hand might be on you. And so Joseph goes from being a kidnapped slave, right, who, who has also been put in, put in prison, uh, to the second in command of Egypt, the world power at the time. And it says that he's now 30 years old. He takes over. And like everything else Joseph has ever run, uh, the country flourishes, right? He, he's stocking up in the fat years and then the famine years hit. Um, and it's not just Egypt, the whole region, right? Everyone is starving. Everyone doesn't have food, doesn't have crops. And I think this is where the story really gets good. Uh, back in Canaan, Jacob hears there's grain in Egypt, Right, there's grain. So he sends his sons to get some, all but one, right? He holds back Benjamin, Joseph's brother. He says, I, I can't bear to lose my youngest son. I can't bear to risk it even. So you 10, go get the grain uh, and bring it back to us. So 10 brothers of Joseph show up in Egypt to buy grain and they walk up and bow down to the Egyptian ruler who's in charge of selling that grain, their long lost brother who they don't recognize. Joseph does recognize them, uh, but doesn't reveal himself. It says he speaks harshly to them. He accuses them, actually, of being spies. They're taken back. They, we're not spies. We're just here to get grain. He starts asking them, well, what's your family? You know, you have any, any other brothers? Yeah, your father, who's your father, right? They, he starts asking them questions to find out about his family. Um, and, and, and they say, yes, we, we, have a, we have a younger brother. He's at home. Uh, we have a, an elderly father. He's also at home. Uh, but we, you know, we're not spies. We just need some grain. Um, and so Joseph decides to, to test his brothers, right? So he takes Simeon, one of the brothers, uh, as a hostage. And he says, if you're really telling the truth about your younger brother, um, I'm going to keep this one here with me. You go home and get your younger brother and bring him back. And when I see him, I'll know you're not lying. And, I, and you can trade in the land. You can have your brother Simeon back. Um, Joseph is using an interpreter. And so the brothers don't, don't, uh, they don't know that he can understand them. And so there's this really poignant moment when they say to each other, right, in their own language, God is punishing us for what we did to our brother Joseph. And Joseph has to go in the other room so they don't see him weep about that, 
right? But he composes himself and he sends them off with grain. Long story short, uh, they get back to their father. They tell him what happened. All right, he, he, here's, here's what happened. The ruler said this. He, he took Simeon. He wants us to bring Benjamin back. Uh, but Jacob refuses to send Benjamin back with him to rescue Simeon. He says, I lost Joseph. Now I lost Simeon. I can't bear, I, can't, I couldn't lose my, Benjamin too. Uh, along with the grain, um, uh, the, along with this, along with the grain in their bags, they, they found uh, um, all of their silver that they'd taken with them to buy the grain. Uh, they found all their silver still in their bags. So they were, they were also afraid if I go back, they're gonna, the Egyptians are going to think we stole all this grain because we didn't pay our silver. So they don't go back, right? And they wait and they wait. But finally, when they've used all the grain, right? When they're starving again, the, the famine hasn't, um, hasn't desisted. Uh, they, they convince Jacob to finally let Benjamin go. And so they take him with them back to Egypt. They get there to Egypt. They're escorted to Joseph's house for a meal. And we pick up uh, here in Genesis 43. He asked them if they were well. And he said, how is your elderly father that you told me about? Is he still alive? The brothers answered, your servant, our father is well. He is still alive. And they knelt low and paid homage to him, which is fulfilling the dream, Right. When he looked up and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, he asked, is this your youngest brother that you told me about? Then he said, may God be gracious to you, my son. Joseph hurried out because he was overcome with emotion for his brother and he was about to weep. He went into an inner room and wept there. Then he washed his face and came out. Regaining his composure, he said, serve the meal. And they eat. Joseph has one final test for his brothers. Right before he reveals himself, um, he tells his steward to fill all of their sacks with grain, and to also put put their silver back in their sacks, like as like he did last time. And he said also to put Joseph's silver cup, the, the cup that Joseph used, uh, into Benjamin's bag. So he see, they see, the steward secretly does this. He sends them off. Um, shortly after, Joseph sends his steward after them to arrest them and to accuse them of stealing the cup. Right, the brothers are you know, oblivious. And no, we didn't steal your cup. And any, anyone, anyone you find the cup in, they'll die. And the steward's like, no, no, it's okay. They can just stay and be our slave. We don't, we don't want to kill anybody right now. Um, but they check the bags and they discover the cup in Benjamin's sack. And so the brothers are devastated, right? They're, they're all brought back to Joseph um, who says, hey, listen, you other guys can go. That's fine. But the one who stole the cup, he's going to stay and be my slave as punishment. Um, and, and, and the, the brothers are, de- are they're, you know, destroyed. They, they know we cannot go back to Canaan without Benjamin, right? Jacob has said multiple times, I will die if, if Benjamin goes. I, I, can, I will go to the grave. Um, I, I, would be, I would be overcome with grief. And so Judah, uh, who's the one who, if you remember, um, talked the brothers into selling Joseph in the first place, making some money off of him. Um, Judah explains, he just explains to, to Joseph their father's love for Benjamin. Um, he explains that, that uh, you know, we can't go back without him. He's gonna, it's gonna be too hard on our elderly father. So he says, and I'll stay instead. You take me instead. I'll be your slave and let Benjamin go home. I would seem, which may be a, a change of heart. It may, maybe showed Joseph a change of heart in these brothers. And finally, Joseph can't compose himself any longer. And he sends all of his attendants away and he reveals his identity to his brothers, weeping, it says, loudly. All the Egyptians heard him, it says. And the brothers are obviously shocked and mortified. We pick up in 45. Then Joseph said to his brothers, please come near me. And they came near. 
I'm Joseph, your brother, he said, the one you sold into Egypt. And now don't be grieved or angry with yourself for selling me here because God sent me ahead of you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years and there will be five more years without plowing or harvesting. God sent me ahead of you to establish you as a remnant within the land and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. Therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh, Lord of his entire household and ruler over all the land of Egypt. He sends them to get Jacob, his father, and all their possessions and bring them to Egypt. Pharaoh, because of Joseph, welcomes them with open arms, gives them the best of the land, provides everything for them. Jacob blesses his sons, as we saw last week, and then dies. And then we have the scene we started with, where the brothers make up a statement from Jacob about asking Joseph to forgive them, right? Jacob didn't say that. He, Joseph had already forgiven them. But they're afraid. They're afraid that he's gonna now gonna take vengeance on them. Right now that their father is dead, that he's gonna, um, he's gonna get his revenge. And Joseph weeps when he gets that message. And his brothers come down and fall down before him and say, we're your slaves. And, and look again at what Joseph said to them. Don't be afraid, Am I in the place of God? You planned evil against me, but God planned it for good to bring about the present result, the survival of many people. Therefore, don't be afraid. I will take care of you and your children. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. You planned evil against me. God planned it for good. The same act, the same evil, wicked act of selling him into slavery. You planned it for evil, God planned it for good. When Joseph was, was chained to that midnight caravan, I imagine he couldn't have told you any possible good that would come of this. I don't think he was saying, you know, probably what's gonna come of this is I'm gonna go to Egypt and I'm gonna be exalted the ruler of Egypt and then I'm gonna save my whole family from famine. That's probably where this is going, so I'll just trust God in that. <laughs> no, right? He, I'm sure he couldn't have dreamed anything good could come of this. When Joseph was thrown into prison for his moral purity, I'm sure he couldn't have imagined any situation where this could turn out for anything good. When two long years in prison passed and the cupbearer didn't remember Joseph's kindness, right? Don't you think there was some, there was some questioning God in that time? What, what good are you, what are you doing here, God? Why have you left me? But a mature Joseph, looking back over his life, could say about all these things, you meant them for evil, but God meant them for good. You planned evil, God planned good. Brothers and sisters, do you have situations in your life that you can't imagine any good coming from? Have you been betrayed? Have you been abandoned? Has someone made your life a living nightmare? I don't wanna make light of that. I don't wanna make light of your circumstance the evil that you may have experienced. The world, the world is a dark, dark place and the type of suffering and evil out there is just astonishing and gut-wrenching and nauseating. 
But what does this story teach us? Why is this here in the scriptures? Why is Joseph's life recorded? I think because, as it says in Romans, God causes all things to work together for good for those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. You planned it for evil, Joseph says, but God planned it for good. Joseph Joseph trusted God and it allowed him to suffer well, to be faithful in suffering and to see his suffering as a part of the larger story that God was writing. And so he forgives his brothers. He forgives them. Some of us struggle with forgiveness. Uh, one reason I, I think is, is, it could be a lot of reasons, but one thing that's difficult with forgiveness is, is some people think if I say, if I forgive someone, right, it's like I'm just letting them off. The, it's like I'm just saying what you did was fine. It wasn't even bad. I think we have that perception about forgiveness, but that's not what forgiveness is. That's not what forgiveness says, right? Forgiveness does not excuse anyone's sin, right? God doesn't excuse anyone's sin, right? All sin is paid for. The brothers were not wrong, were not right, right? It didn't make it right for them to sell their brother. They were wrong. They shouldn't have sold their brother. They shouldn't have lied to their father. They shouldn't have covered up uh, this plot and Joseph's forgiveness doesn't doesn't uh, make their sin okay. What what then is forgiveness? What is it? Well, if you owe me money and I forgive your debt, what does that mean? It means you don't have to pay, right? I say you don't you don't have to pay. But it also means I'll cover the cost, right? I'll absorb that loss. Forgiveness is like this, right? Forgiveness is experiencing a wrong, a hurt, a sin against you, but then instead of lashing out and trying to inflict pain back on someone, which is what you're doing if you're not forgiving, you're, you're trying to stick it to, you're trying to, they deserve it. They don't deserve my forgiveness, right? You're trying to cause them pain because of what they've done to you. Instead of lashing out, forgiveness is telling someone, I'll, I'll take the pain, I'll absorb it, and I won't hold it against you. I won't make you hurt because of this. The forgiveness is costly. It's costly. Just like a debt doesn't vanish in the air, right? The hurt doesn't just vanish. Someone has to absorb it without lashing back out. How was Joseph able to forgive his brothers? How was he able to absorb the hurt of being betrayed and sold into slavery and unjustly going to prison for all those years? He was able to because of his faith. Because he trusted God. He trusted God's heart and God's plan. And God never abandoned him. Right? In every, in every case we read, right? Something bad happens, but God was with him. God was with him. God was with him. He trusted that God had been working even in all of the sin, all of the pain, right? all of the evil. And that he who had always been faithful to his great-grandfather Abraham and to his grandfather Isaac and to his father Jacob would be faithful to him and to his descendants as well. 
Right? You see this on his deathbed when he says, bring my bones up from Egypt. Right? When God comes to your aid. When he comes, I know he'll come to your aid. I know he's going to keep his promise. Right? And bring my bones back to Canaan. He trusted God to keep his promise. And the question is, can you trust the same God and enough to forgive the person that you need to forgive? And you might say, Lawson, I don't know if I can. Right? You don't know what I've gone through. And it's true, I don't. You might say, why, why should I do that? Why should I trust God that much enough to let go of this? And, and, and here's why. Here's why I think you should. I think you should trust God because he has proved he loves you. He's proved that he's for you. And you say, well, how? How has he proved that? Well, God showed his love for you when, by sending his son to die in your place. Right? The, the Bible says God created us to, to love and to honor him, but we are all rebels Right, we're all rebels against God. We all, like sheep, have gone astray, it says in Isaiah. We've all turned to our own way. We've all, we all shake our fists at the heavens and say, I'll live my life how I want to. Thank you very much. And for that, we deserve punishment. We deserve God's wrath. We deserve hell, separation from God. But because he loves us, God the Father sent his only son, Jesus, to die in our place. Remember, to, for, remember to forgive, you have to absorb the cost. You have to absorb the pain. Right? God himself absorbed the pain, the punishment, the wrath that our sin caused and our sin warranted so that he could forgive us. Right? So, some people have this idea that God could just snap his fingers and forgive everyone, but that's not how forgiveness works. It costs something. It always costs something. And it was precious blood that poured down from Calvary's cross. Precious enough to buy our redemption and buy our freedom. And because it didn't end there, but Jesus rose from the dead. Right? He appeared to many, ascended to heaven. He sent his spirit to live in us. We can forgive others. We can only be forgiven through him. And we can only forgive through him. It's when you see that he has absorbed your pain that you can willingly absorb the pain that others inflict and forgive them. Joseph trusted God and God was with him and empowered him to suffer faithfully and to forgive his brothers. And God calls us to the same type of trust and obedience and he promises us the same presence and power in Christ and by the Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters, we know that, that every story in the Bible uh, whispers his name, the name of Jesus. As he taught us, right, Luke 24, um, these stories are, are ultimately shadows of the reality, right? All the Old Testament, the law, the prophets, the writings, they point to they point to something greater, something more real, the reality of Jesus and what he's done for us. But I'm struggling a little this morning. I wonder if you can help me. Can you help me find the connection here with Joseph, between Joseph and Jesus? 
Joseph was betrayed by those closest to him for some pieces of silver. Do you see any connection there? No? Okay. Joseph was a faithful steward who suffered not because he did wrong, but because, in fact, he did the right thing. Any connections? No? Okay, good. You, you heard the story, right? Joseph had the rug ripped out from, from him multiple times, right? You, you might say he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Have you heard that about anyone else? I have. What about this one? Joseph had to suffer horribly in order to save the very brothers who made him suffer. Seems like that's, a, that's an, an, a theme that I've heard somewhere else in the Bible. I don't know, maybe, uh, the, okay, maybe let's go with this one. Joseph was assumed dead and then miraculously showed back up in power to offer the people of God forgiveness and life and a hope and a future. Does that ring any bells, brothers and sisters? Are there any connections that you might see to Christ? The one who was betrayed for 30 pieces of silver, right? The one who was a faithful steward in all of God's house, who never sinned and yet was condemned to die. The one who, who was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, who bore our sins. He bore our sorrows in himself. Um, the one who had to suffer horribly for us, right? It was my sin that held him there. Right? He suffered for the very ones, his very enemies, who put him on the cross. And, and he was not assumed dead, but he was dead. And then he rose from the dead in power, and he offers forgiveness and life and hope and a future to all who call on his name. This is Jesus. There is no one like him. There's no one. He's the one we worship, and he's the one we sing about. So as the band comes, we're going to sing to him, uh, and then we'll move into communion. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your great love for us. Thank you that while we were yet sinners, you died for us, Jesus, that you love us, that you've sent your spirit to give us power. Um, we we are, are so weak, Lord. We are so um, enslaved often to our own uh, our own ideas of forgiveness, our own ideas of redemption, to our own, um, uh, the, the grudges and, and the unforgiveness that we hold to people who have done us wrong. And I just pray in Jesus' name for the person here that, that is holding that grudge, is not offering forgiveness, that you would set them free, that you would pour your love into their hearts, they would see how much you love them. They would see how much they've been forgiven and that would lead them to, to not, not be able to help offering forgiveness to others. For all of us, would you pour your love into our hearts? Would you help us to trust you? Whatever is happening in our lives, whatever we're going through, um, Lord, we, we, we suffer and we can't see the end. Of, we see so little. We know so little. We, we don't know the whole story like you do. So give us strength. Give us strength to get through. Give us strength to trust you, to trust your promises. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.